You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. Good morning. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. I am so sorry about last weekend. I was very ill, very sick. And so there's nothing worse than calling your brother on a Friday morning and being like, hey, I am not going to be there on Sunday to speak this message. And uh, we're in a series that's not like, hey, let's just quick pull this out. But lucky for us, uh, our pastor is ridiculously intelligent and he can pull out a message that you heard last week in just 48 hours. It's pretty amazing. We, I went to the Iowa State basketball game on Wednesday night. Ryan Savage brought me and we were joking about if there was going to be a time or if there was going to be a place to get the coronavirus, it would be here among all these people. That night I went home and I started getting a fever. I started feeling sick and I said, that's it for me. That's it for Old Tone. <laughs> I had a good run. But it turned out just to be influenza. So i um, glad to be here with you this morning. We um, are concluding our series this morning, um, ready to answer. Next week, Pastor Drew's going to kick off a new series called Ready for Only God. And it's going to be a series on, on being people of the Spirit, walking in the miraculous, being risk takers, being people who go all out for the Lord. So you're not going to want to miss next week. But this day, today, we are talking about, um, we're, we're continuing on with the series, Ready to Answer. And it's been a series really uh, wrestling through the difficult questions of life. I think a lot of times um, Christians are accused of not really, uh, of a blind faith, are accused of, 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 of essentially saying, you haven't really wrestled through these difficult questions. And the reality is, is that we have wrestled through these difficult questions. There are people way more intelligent than I who have uh, wrestled through these questions. And so the intention of this series is not to equip us with a weapon to debate people, because we will never debate someone into the kingdom. But it is really to solidify our faith, to say, hey, there are, uh, there are real answers for these difficult questions, and it actually will increase our faith in continuing on with our relationship with the Lord. Because this is not a mental ascent. We can know God, and we can um, engage our mind, but this, is, this, this walk with God is a relationship, in which we experience his presence like we were just singing. We experience what it is to hear from God. We experience what it is to walk with him. I was listening to a conversation between two men. One was John Lennox, the great philosopher, apologist, and um, mathematician at Oxford. And the other man was a, a renowned atheist. And uh, throughout this conversation, they were talking back and forth. And the moderator in the middle of the conversation stopped and looked at this man. He's 78 years old, this renowned atheist, and said, Sir, is there anything that would change your mind about God? Is there anything that would change your mind about God? And the man sat there, sat there and he thought and he said, you know, I suppose if I had some sort of experience with God. And that answer struck me because philosophy cannot save us. Knowledge cannot save us. Information cannot save us. It's only one person. It's Jesus. And it's relationship with him that, that, this, that the salvation comes. And so as we walk through these difficult questions, it's not, we, we do engage our minds. And as believers, we, uh, there's a mandate on our lives to, man, to, to engage our minds. But we live in a relationship with a living God. A living God who's living and active, who is not silent, who still speaks today. 
Callistos Ware says, it is not the task of Christianity to provide easy answers to every question, but to make us progressively aware of a mystery. God is not so much the object of our knowledge as the cause of our wonder. As we walk with God, we realize in a greater measure that he is unsearchable, that he is unending. And the more that we know him, the more that we depend on him. And the more that we know him, the more we realize that we need him. And that we cry out and say, God, we are desperate for you to move in our city. We're desperate for you to move in our, in our region. You are the only hope. And so it's not that every answer that we ever ask in this life gets answered. But we walk with a God in whom we can trust and is faithful. So this morning, we are diving into this difficult question that many of, of us have asked. I've asked, if God is good, why does he allow evil? If God is good, why does he allow evil? And I want you to know this morning that this question, there are, there are many answers, many reasons. And a lot of these answers and reasons can seem calloused at times. They can see like, well, that's just the way it is, so deal with it. But I want you to know my heart this morning. I'm not coming to you as a person who has not, who has not experienced suffering, who has not experienced pain. Tragedy has knocked on my door. I've experienced pain in my life. I've experienced loss. I've experienced betrayal. I've experienced things that have not made sense. I've sat with people on their deathbed and prayed with them. I've sat with people in their, as they've been diagnosed with cancer. I've sat with people who who have had a loved one who died unexpectedly. So I come to you not as a person who is absent from this, and just, we, where we just give these, these blanket answers, but someone who, is, who has wrestled this with, with this question myself. And as I've come out the other side, it has brought me in a deeper relationship with Jesus and his faithfulness and his goodness. So we have to first ask this question, if we're going to unpack it. Do we really believe that God is good? Is he good? And I want you to know this morning, I'm just going to give you the spoiler right now. Emphatically, yes. God is good. It is the basis of everything that we believe. God is good. He is good in all of his ways. He is good in everything that he does. And so we're going to explore three areas that he is good. His, his character and his nature, his ways, and what he does. And I'm going to be rapid-firing scripture because, um, so you're not going to be able to turn this morning uh, to all of these, but you can write them down and they'll be on the screen behind because the Bible has a lot to say about God's goodness. So in Psalm 119, verse 68, it says, You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Galatians 5 says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and God is Spirit, says is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as high for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is, the mer is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God, he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Blessed is the one who takes refuge. God's nature, the very essence of who he is, is good. And his ways are good. His ways. His ways, that that means like it's what he prioritizes. uh, The way that he thinks. What he values. His priorities. His justice. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, said the Lord. For as high as the... uh, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Thank God. Zephaniah 3 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Ezekiel 33, verse 11 says, Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from their evil ways. God's ways are so much higher than our ways. God's priorities, the things that he values, God's sense of justice is so much higher than ours. We pray justice on the wicked and God cries for mercy. That they would turn, turn. What God does is good. He gives life, he redeems, he restores, he calls up and sends out, he heals, he comforts and encourages, he gives peace and he gives good, good gifts. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Genesis 1, 31 says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. Matthew 7, verse 11 says, If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Acts 14 says, In the past he let all nations go their way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you the rain from heaven and the crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even those who don't walk with God experience the goodness of who he is by having the sun shining on our face, to experience breath in our lungs, to, to have joy in our, to experience joy and love. Even those who don't follow Jesus know the goodness of God. So emphatically, yes, God is good, and his goodness cannot be exaggerated. It cannot be overstated. It cannot be overblown. We can spend our entire lives exploring the goodness of God and not even scratch the surface. God is emphatically good. He is good. So then that brings us to this big question. If God is good, why why is there evil? If God is good, why is there evil? Did he invent evil? Did he create evil? Why Why is it here? Well, that answer can really be, that question can really be answered by exploring God's goodness in a greater way. Because of God's goodness, because of God's goodness, he has given humanity the greatest gift of free will. 
And within this gift of free will exists heaven's supreme ethic, which is love. The Bible says that God is love. He created it. He set it in motion. He defines it. God is love. And for love to exist, there has to be the freedom to choose. Otherwise, it is not love at all. It is compliance or conformity. God's greatest gift to humanity was free will. So in actuality, evil did not need to be created. All we needed was the freedom to choose between God and something other than God. His way or our own way. You see, evil is just a lack of good. It's the absence of goodness, the absence of God. In the same way that that darkness is the absence of light. In the same way that, that cold is the absence of heat. Evil is simply the absence of good. And so we take God out of the picture and all of a sudden we have evil. This is what hell is. Hell is the complete absence of God. And in the complete absence of God, complete depravity, anger, malice, rage, the most sadistic things you could think of exist. You take God out of the picture and in comes evil. So if we think about these scenarios in which, of worlds that God could create, it really boils down to just a very few options of worlds, that, possibilities of worlds that God could create. The first is this, that God create, could create a world, or God could create nothing. It doesn't create anything. There is nothing, right? And we know that's not true because we're all sitting here, right? The second is that God would create a world in which there is no good or no evil. It's like an amoral world. The third is that God creates a world in which we only choose good. The fourth option is that God would create a world with the possibility of good and evil, and we have the freedom to choose. And number four is the only possibility or is the only world in which love can exist. Because within that, 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 the right to choose, the free will, is where love, God will never make us love him. He will never force us to love them. In the same way, I can't force my wife to love me. You can enforce, or you can, uh, uh, you can cause people to comply, but in the deep matters of the heart, you cannot force anyone to love you. And so from the very beginning in Genesis 3, we see that God gives humanity options. He says, this is my best, this is my will, this is my desire, but I'm not gonna make you choose it. So we have Adam and Eve in the garden, this little slice of heaven on earth. And in the middle of that garden is, is, this, is the tree of, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, you can do whatever you want here, just don't eat of that tree. And what happens? The one thing. He said, you have, I told you one thing. And the enemy comes, right, and says, what does God know? And you can be, he just doesn't want you to be your own God. So what do they do? They eat. And that sets in motion a series of events that we are still living in today. It is man living on the own throne of his life. 
saying, God, I don't need you. I can be God. I can be Lord over my life. And that is why we experience the things that we experience. It sets in motion a new order of things. And because sin entered the world, sickness and disease entered the world. That's why you get thistles in your garden. I think mosquitoes probably came in there too. But not only sickness of our bodies, but the sickness of the soul. And it wasn't even a generation that passed. The first murder happens where Cain kills his brother Abel. One generation. The sickness of the soul, and from it comes murder and rape and abandonment, rejection, hate, racism, and so on. Evil did not need to be created. We just needed the possibility to choose. And what we see today is, and live every day is a direct result of the human desire to sit on the throne of our, own, of our own life, to choose his way and not ours. I thank God for free will because with it is this, the ability to experience the love of God in which we cannot experience outside of him in a, any real measurable way. So as we continue on, I've realized in my life as I've walked, in reading C.S. Lewis, it says in any question that you, you look at, you have to explore the assumptions that are being made in that, in that question. And I've, I'm, t- I'm just talking to you from personal experience. That as I've wrestled with this question, if I've wrestled with various why questions, um, it has revealed certain things about me. And it reveals really just some problems with even that question. Why would God allow dot, dot, dot? Why would, allow a guy, why would God allow cancer? Why would God allow um, evil to exist? Why would God, it, it, answer, it, it, it creates problems and it, it's, it makes assumptions about God. So I want to just quick go through three assumptions, three problems with this question, why would God allow whatever? The first one is this. It assumes that everything that happens is God's administrative choice. Everything that happens is not God's will. It is not his desire. We are not puppets. We are free creatures. And Sometimes we get confused because we look at this story of Job, which is the oldest book in the Bible, and we look at Job and we see the devil come and says, hey, I want to go after Job, and God says, okay. And so we assume that every time the enemy attacks, anything, some, anytime something bad happens, the devil had come with his hat in his hands and says, hey, I'd really like to go after Tony and give him influenza this week. Is that okay, God? And then God's like, go get him. He was kind of ticking me off this week anyway, so you might just go get him. And it's funny, but a lot of times we do think like this. And so then it causes us to live in fear of God. Like, man, God's up there. He's very thin-skinned. He's very fickle. And I, just, I don't want to make him angry or, man, who knows what's going to happen. Everything that happens in this life is not God's will. It's not his desire. He has a best way and a best plan, and we have the freedom to choose it. It's like in my house, right? I joke with my daughter. I'm the, I'm the king of this castle. And they laugh. And they <laughs> but in my house... My wife and I, we're in charge, right? 
we are in charge. But that doesn't mean that everything that happens in my house was my choice, was my desire, or my will. When they rise up against each other and they start screaming and hitting each other's faces, I desire that they do not do that. I don't want that. And yet they do it anyway, right? And how much more sadistic would it be if I was like, hey, Dean, your sister's over there. Why don't you go whack her right in the face? I know I'm making light of this, but I think in a lot of times we think of God in that way. That God has a best will, a best desire, a best plan for our lives. And we have the ability to choose, and not everything that happens in this world is his choice. And what happens a lot of times is the enemy comes. He's like, well, roar, he's like a roaring lion. He comes to seek and to kill and destroy. He's like a prowling lion. And for whatever reason, God has allowed him to roam free on this earth. And what happens is the enemy comes and he, 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 he bites, he kind of bites us, right? And then what happens is he accuses man to God and God to man. And we start saying, God, you did this, you did this, why did you do this? And then the enemy is just over here laughing. Everything that happens in this life is not God's administrative choice. The second assumption that we make is that it assumes that we understand justice better than God. We read just before that God's ways are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. And his, the disparity between our sense of justice and God's is massive is massive. I can tell you for one that I would never in my life give my son for a people who wanted nothing to do with me. But God's sense of justice is so much higher than mine. It's so much better than mine. And I think in a lot of times we, when we think about justice, we don't really want justice. What we want is revenge. We want people to pay for what they did to us. We want them to suffer. We cry out for mercy for ourselves. And justice and judgment for those around us. But God exercises perfect justice through sending Jesus. He gives us mercy and justice at the same time without violating himself by sending Jesus and satisfying the law. Isn't that good news? But a lot of times, we, if we're being honest, we want revenge. We want someone to pay. That's why when we watch movies, there's this battle. Every, every movie is like this battle between good and evil. And at the end of the movie, the villain or whoever it is, the, uh, the antagonist is, gets off and is living their best life at the end of the movie. We are outraged by this, right? I, I would walk out of a movie like that. I, don't, I want anything to do with a movie like that. But we, don't, we like movies where they get what, what's coming to them. And not where they just get a fair trial in front of a jury of their peers. But we want them to like get pushed off a building and die a slow death and the building falls on top of them and then this building explodes and they're just obliterated into nothing. And then we feel good about that. They got what they deserved. God's justice is so much greater than ours. His sense of justice is so much higher than ours. And maybe, just maybe, he's got it all figured out. And he'll sort it out in the end. The last assumption is this. 
assumes that we have a greater knowledge, understanding, and perspective than God. Again, I don't think we consciously think like this, but a lot of times we're, we, we look at our, our situation as um, exceptionally complicated. Say, God, I know you can do all these things for these, in these situations, but mine is specifically complex. And I am particularly an expert in this area over here, God, so I'm gonna just, I gotta figure it out. You just let me handle it. Or, God, have you thought about this? I, I think maybe you missed this. Have you thought about this angle before? And I want to submit to you today that maybe, just maybe God knows something that we don't know. Maybe he knows something that we don't know. Ravi Zacharias tells this, this, this proverb, this old Middle Eastern proverb that goes like this. Is there's this man who lives in this village and he has this horse and one day this horse runs away. The neighbor comes and says, boy, it's really bad luck that your, na- that your, that your horse ran away, isn't it? And the man says, ah, what do I know about these things? A couple days later, that horse comes back and brings 25 wild horses with it. The neighbor comes over and says, it wasn't bad luck, it was good luck. This horse brought all these horses back with you. Now you have all these horses. And he says, what do I know about these things? A couple days later, this man is... His son is out trying to break one of the horses. And the horse kicks the son and breaks his leg. The son is laid up. The neighbor comes over and says, well, I guess it was bad luck after all. And your son has a broken leg. A few days later, there's this gang of, of young men coming through looking for new recruits. They show up at the house looking to, and they're going to, we're going to take your son. And they see he has a broken leg. And so they say, we don't want him. And they pass on to the next house. The neighbor comes over and says, I guess it was good luck after all. (laughs) The point is this. In this small series of events, we can't make heads or tails of it. And time is the great necessary component of seeing the bigger picture. And you and I have lived in this tiny little sliver, this tiny little speck in the whole existence of the universe and even of humanity. And so maybe God knows something we don't know. So if we look at this book of Job, which is about pain and suffering, Job is this man who loses everything. He loses everything. His family, all of his wealth, he gets boils on his body, he loses everything. His friends are terrible friends to him. And Job starts to complain, and Job starts to get angry with God and said, where are you, God? Where are you? And we, many of us do this. God, where are you? You're nowhere to be found. Are you just? Are you really good? And he goes on and on and on for chapter after chapter after chapter. And then in Job 38, God speaks. And I love this portion of scripture because it's one of those, you can kind of hear the God's voice, uh, the the way he says it is, he's a little sarcastic with Job. And he really just lets Job have it. And uh, there's been times in my life that God has let me have it as well in a good way, like a good father would. And so in Job 38, God shows up and he speaks to Job. And he says this in verse 2. Who is this that obscures my plans with, with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man and I will question you and, you and you will answer me. 
Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstones? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the seas behind the doors and it, when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed the limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this is as far as you may come, but no farther. Here is where your proud ways halt. Have you given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? That it might take the earth by its edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal, and its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arms are broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of, the de of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take me to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know. You were, you were already born. You have lived so many years. And God goes on for two more chapters. And finally, in chapter 40, Job responds to God and says, God, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put a hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I say no more. And God continues on. He says, brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you will answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like this? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. And he goes on for two more chapters. And then in chapter verse 42, Job says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. Listen now and I will speak and I will question you and you will answer me, you said. My ears have heard, and now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Maybe, just maybe God knows something that we don't know. Maybe God has a higher perspective. And to be honest with you, I've, I've stopped asking God why. Because even if I was told the answer, would it help me? Even if I knew the answer, would I even be able to understand it? Do I even have the capacity to understand God's ways? God spoke to me very clearly about this when I, we first had our daughter, Evie. She's six now, but when she was one years old, I remember we, that's such a hard age because they, they're trying to communicate a little bit, but you, they just have such a limited way of communicating. And so I remember being in the, in the, in the car, and she's crying because she doesn't want to be in her car seat, and she's just screaming. In that moment, I couldn't be like, hey, Evie, so we're going to be there in an hour. Do you know what an hour is? An hour, there's 60 minutes in an hour. There's 60 seconds in a minute. If you add those all up, you get one hour. Like, I can't even explain time to her. She has no concept for it. And even if I did, she doesn't have the capacity to understand it. Or at night when she'd wake up and she'd have a poopy diaper and she'd get so mad at me to change her diaper and I can't say, I can't try to explain this. Evie, 
If I don't change your diaper, you're gonna get you're gonna get horrible rash. It's gonna hurt you. It's gonna hurt you. This is good that this is happening. But even if I tried to explain it, she doesn't have the capacity to understand. So even if I gave her the answers that she wanted, she wouldn't even be able to understand it. So what am I left with as a father? As a father, I can show her who I am. I can show her that when, when I'm here, you don't have to worry. That when dad's here, there's comfort and there's peace. And even though I don't understand everything that's happening in this life, my father is with me. My father is with me. And I can show her who I am as her dad. And so it is with the Lord. God has not removed himself from our pain. God has not just said, well, you guys made your bed, now you've got to lie in it. So now we ask this question, what does this mean for my pain? What does this mean for my suffering? Well, like I said, God didn't just leave us. He actually inserted himself into our pain, into our suffering through Jesus. And this question of does God care, does God know, does God understand, has been settled at the cross through Jesus. He knows. God knows. Two of the most freeing things I've ever, uh, words that I have ever known in my life is that those two words that God knows. God knows. God knows when he sees it. He inserted himself into our pain, into our struggle, into the ugliness, into the, the things that do not make sense. God has inserted himself into it. The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows, a man well acquainted with grief. Jesus knows suffering. Jesus knew betrayal. He knew loneliness. He knew what it was to be attacked by the enemy. He knew temptation and humiliation. He knew physical torment, emotional torment, mental torment, spiritual torment. He experienced loss and grief. He knew what it was to be rejected and misunderstood. He shared in our suffering and we share in his. God knows. God knows. And now because of the finished work of Jesus, we have Holy Spirit who lives in us every single day and is our comforter. He's the one who brings peace and strength. And we have a great testimony that even though God might not take us out of every situation, we can overcome it. And we can walk through it. We can walk through the fire. We can walk through the water. And we won't be burned. And we won't drown. And he'll be with us. And that's why as a church, we contend for healing. God's answer for our ailments, for our sickness, was Jesus. And he sent Jesus. And now because of Jesus' finished work, we can experience healing in our own bodies. Not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. Because of Holy Spirit, we can be redeemed. We can be restored. He can be our counselor and our guide. And he's with us. He never leaves. There's a pastor in Minnesota. His name is Greg Boyd. And there's a book that I recommend. It's called Letters to a Skeptic. And it's a book that's just letters between him and his father, who at that time was not a believer. It's a really interesting book. But one of the letters he writes to his father is this. 
What I experienced, Dad, and what it is what it is shown through throughout the New Testament is that Jesus suffers with our with us in our suffering. That's how he heals us from our suffering. One of his names in the New Testament is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. However low we sink, God is with us. He is there at the bottom waiting for us. He isn't off on some distant planet indifferent about our plight. He is in the midst of all we go through. You remember that in in my first year of college, I went through a long period of acute doubt over the truth of Christianity. The problem we've been discussing, this problem of evil, was at the heart of it. I was torn between two opposing convictions. The world, with all of its beauty, design, intricacy, and personal characteristics, demanded that there must be a God. But I thought at the time the suffering of the world says there can't be a God. It all came to a head for me one cold February night as I was walking back from an astronomy class at the University of Minnesota. Thinking of the grandeur of the stars we had been looking at, I was saying to myself, there must be a God. But thinking of the nightmare suffering in Auschwitz, I was saying to myself, there can't be a God. The two thoughts were battling with each other at hyperspeed, and I was tormented. Finally, just as I approached my car, I looked up at the sky and I cried out with a loud, angry voice. The only God I can believe in is one who knows firsthand what it's like to be a Jewish boy buried alive and who knows what it's like to be a Jewish mother watching her children be buried. And then it occurred to me, or was it revealed, that it is exactly, that is exactly the kind of God Christianity proclaims. There is no other belief which does this. Only the gospel dares to proclaim that God enters smack dab in the middle of the hell we create. Only the gospel dares to proclaim that God was born a baby in a bloody, crap-filled stable. And that he lived a life befriending the prostitutes and the leper. No one else, the leper that no one else would befriend. And that he suffered firsthand the hellish depth of all that is nightmarish in the human experience. Only the gospel portrait of God makes sense of, contra- of the contradictory fact that the world was, is at once beautiful and so ugly. Jesus entered into our pain. He said, in this world you will experience trouble. You will experience trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And so I have stopped asking God why. And instead I ask God, God, where do we go from here? What do I do now? This doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it. I don't know why this is happening. But God, where do I go from here? What do I do now? Worship team, you can come. A number of years ago, I was, got a phone call from a friend of mine who wasn't a believer, that we'd spent a lot of time talking about the things of God, but was not a believer, and he called me and he said, Tony, my dad was driving to work this morning and he had a brain aneurysm, and uh, he's at the hospital now, can you come? And I remember coming and I'm on the way praying and I'm saying, God, I'm just, I need you to, we need you to heal him. As your unofficial PR guy, God, this would be a good one. This would be a good one. 
And I show up at the hospital and there's my friend, completely hopeless. His dad is on life support. Remember this faith rising up within me. God is going to heal him and his family. This, his whole family is going to come to know Jesus because of it. So I remember praying for this man, praying, God, heal him. God, redeem him. God, take him up. Praying a sinner prayer with him. went home. The next morning, my friend called and said, man, my dad died. <laughs> and I remember driving over to the hospital and walking into that room. I see my friend and he's just with hopelessness in his eyes. He said, what happened? What happened? I thought you said God was going to heal him. I said, I don't know, man. I don't know what happened. And I left there that day, and I was so mad. So mad at God. I remember crying out to him in my car, just screaming. I called my dad. And I said, Dad, I, don't, I just don't get it. I don't get it. And he said, I don't know either, son. But I think you better take it to the Lord. You can get on your face before him. So I went back to my apartment. I kind of had that Job moment where I just was letting God have it. How dare you? God took it easy on me. <laughs> Unlike Job. I began to ask God all these questions. Why, 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 why? And God just simply took me to, to Psalm 23. He says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me in your rod and thy staff that comfort me. And God began to speak to me. And he reminded me something that I'd heard years before, which was in the Old Testament, men of God would carry a staff. And on that staff, every time God would do something significant in their life, they would mark their staff. And so when they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, all they needed to do was look at their staff and see God has been faithful and God said, Tony, I have been faithful to you. I am never not going to be faithful to you. And I said, all right, God, where do we go from here? And that day I resolved in my heart, we're going to continue to pray for people to get healed. At the same time, we had a friend who also had a brain aneurysm that God did heal. And you know what? I, didn't, I don't know why. God healed the one and not the other. But I'm not going to base my theology off of things that I don't know. I'm going to base my theology off of what I do know. And that is that I believe with all my heart that God is good, that God heals today. And I've seen it time and time and time again that God restores and that God redeems. And God takes us out of the pit and he doesn't give us what we deserve. But he's faithful to us, faithful to the end. Even when we're not faithful to him, God is faithful. And he's never not going to be faithful. And so we can trust him, even if we don't understand everything that happens in this life. We can understand that, God, you are with me, and you love me, and you're not going to leave me. And someday, we're going to stand with him. And maybe at that point, God will reveal to us the why. And maybe he won't. But I have to believe that God is good. Because if he's not good, then we're in trouble. 
But God is good. He is good. It says, taste and see that he is good. Blessed is the one who trusts in him and finds refuge in him. God is good. So I know in this place, I know your situations, I know your life, and I know that even in, the, in this room right now, you're, you, there's some of us that are suffering, that are struggling, where things are happening in your life that don't make sense. God is good. God is with you. He is with you. Holy Spirit is here as your great comforter, as the one who provides strength for you, courage. And if we remain in relationship, in a closeness with him, he guides us and he leads us. He gives us everything that we need in this life. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? We're going to pray. I'm going to ask I want to ask two questions this morning. First and in response to that question, I want I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand cuz I'd like to pray for you and I, I just want to know who I'm praying for. I'm not going to, I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out or make you do anything weird. I just want to pray for you. The first question is this, if man, you are you just in this season of your life, you're going through things that just don't seem to make sense. It's hard to tell up from down. you're really going through a difficult time and you just say man I just need to know the closeness of God right now I just need to know the nearness of God right now I need God to speak to my heart and speak into my life if that's you would you just put your hand up this place we're all family around here thank you thank you thank you is there anybody else thank you you can put your hands down I appreciate your honesty the second question is this if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Maybe you've had one in the past. It's grown cold and stagnant, and you need to get your life right with the Lord this morning. If that's you, would you just put a hand up in this place? I want to pray for you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Awesome. Thank you for your honesty. If you just raised your hand, you need to get your life right with the Lord. I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you to say a prayer like it in your own heart. God's not looking for the perfect set of words. He's looking for your heart. So as I pray, just agree with me and pray a prayer like this in your own heart. God, I recognize that I'm far away from you, that I've chosen to sit on the throne of my own heart, of my own life. And now, God, I ask you to take your place as Lord and Master, that you sit on the throne of my heart, on the throne of my life. I choose your way and your will and your desires and over my own, God. And now I stop pursuing the things of this world. I stop running after the things of this world. And now I just run hard after you, Jesus, with everything that I am. I thank you for the, the blood of Jesus that comes to wash away sin so that Holy Spirit can come and live inside of me. So I say, Holy Spirit, just come right now in Jesus' name, filled to overflowing. And God, we just purpose in our hearts we're never going to look back. Press on. We look forward. God, for those in this room, experiencing just struggle, trouble, suffering, pain, things that don't make sense. I pray, Holy Spirit, just come, be near, be the good shepherd that you are. <laughs> provide comfort, provide peace, provide strength. Give a, a word that sustains the weary in Jesus' name. Your word says that you are 
near to all those who call upon your name. So we just call upon the name of Jesus now, the name above every other name. And there's no turning with you. There's no shadows with you. You're not trying to trick us. But you have made yourself available to us. You have made yourself known to us, a people. So God, we just turn. Everything that we are, we ask for breakthrough. For those in this room, we need healing. We pray for healing right now in Jesus' mighty name. Do what only you can do, Lord. For those in this room who are struggling with things that are just completely out of their control, God, I pray, Lord, that you would just take so hold of their heart and they would draw so near to you, God, that your plan, your will would be done in Jesus' name. We love you, God. We love you, God. We thank you that you're so gracious with us, so patient with us. You've not left us as orphans, but you sent Holy Spirit to come live in us, to guide us as our counselor, as our friend. We thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.